Hello, and welcome to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. We are so excited to bring you this show. Our podcast is all about unraveling all of your favorite mysteries from the Assassin's Creed games. Each episode, we'll be talking about a different topic in the Assassin's Creed universe. From pieces of Eden, solar flares, and the Isu, to the Hidden Ones, the Order of Ancients, and of course, the Animus, we will seek to uncover it all. So join us, and maybe even take a leap of faith. Welcome to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. My name is Shelby or Sheacup, and I'm here with my co-host. Yeah, I am Austin or Teacup, and I'm excited for episode two of our new season. Yeah, me too. I know this is kind of a um, big topic. We could probably be here for days talking about World War II and all the different things that the Assassins and the Templars and I guess the non-affiliated did during this time period. But I think we're going to try to keep it to under an hour today. So we'll see if we can stick to that. Hopefully we can. Yeah. So just to think, we're going to be talking about two things really today. We're going to be talking about World War II and the Dyke Lock, which happened at the same time but they're different parts and like you know this is part of like from an historical perspective you really have to study world war ii in three sections if not at least two sections if but really three if you want to count you have the pacific campaign the european campaign and the north african campaign so like that there are different compartments that we have to talk about in World War II. So we're going to talk about general World War II, uh, some review information here, but a lot of new stuff. And then we're going to talk about the Diglock. So yes, that definitely sounds like we are discussing two kind of topics in one one episode, but topics that are related to each other. So it wouldn't also really make sense for us to separate them anyway. Yes. All right. So are you ready to start? Yeah, let's get into it. So I'm going back. We're going to have fun facts at the end. In World War II, unlike most of our Assassins versus Templar conflicts that we've covered in two of our seasons, this conflict doesn't have an Assassin side or a Templar side. It's really just the Templars playing at world politics. Both sides have, both are on both sides of the conflict. Uh, We know that FDR, Churchill, Stalin, and Hitler were all either Templars themselves or influenced and controlled by the Templars. Which is so interesting to me because they're on different sides. And I I do, to be fair, to be fair, and not to get too far ahead, but that's, I think, the point of the storytelling from Ubisoft's perspective is that, well, it's not as easy just to say as these guys are good and these guys are bad. Well... Maybe they're all bad. Um, so you, with that, you might be asking, what do the Templars gain from this? What do they gain from causing tension and world chaos other than to like put themselves in more positions of power? And really that's the bottom line issue is that putting the world in this much chaos 
puts them in positions where they can take over and come into power. I mean, it is Churchill's critique of Neville Chamberlain that lets him become prime minister again. Like, mm, mm-hmm. so that's a real historical moment. But so, but there are twofold things that I think they're trying to accomplish with this from the allies perspective now. So for you people who are not as history buffs, the allies are mainly France, England, and the United States, though just France and England for most of the war. I just, um, I mean, there are a lot more than that, um, yes. but yes. I think it would be more accurate to say Great Britain rather than just England. Yes, that is a fair point. Thank you. Yes, that was Great and Britain. Also, Belgium I, is also yeah, in I there. Did, I did look it up because there's a lot, and I think we should just be precise. So it's Great Britain, the United States, Ethiopia, Norway, France, Belgium, Free France, Poland, China, Czechoslovakia, Luxembourg, and that's all Wikipedia has. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and then the axis are a lot. Uh, the big three that you're going to think of are at the beginning of the war. The big three that you think of are Germany, Italy, and uh, Russia. Japan joins later. Russia switches to the Allied side halfway through, and there's just a lot. But there are like that. There's a lot more axis people probably in there. Do you have that list too? Italy, Romania, Bulgaria, and Finland. Finland. And then Germany, Which I Japan. Didn't, yeah, yeah, sorry. I didn't know that Finland had uh, associated with the Axis powers. Yeah. So those are the sides that we're really talking about. So really from the Allies' side, they want to... They want to extend the influence to unite the world. That's their goal. Their goal is to unite the world under a central governing power to bring them under one thing, which they try to accomplish with the League of Nations. But because Woodrow Wilson is not behind that, really, or he can't get the Senate to come behind that, he was for it. The United States is not part of the League of Nations. And from a European history perspective, they say that's why the Euro- the League of Nations failed. There's a lot more reasons why the League of Nations failed other than the United States not being a part of it. It didn't have a lot of enforcing power. It didn't really do anything. It couldn't even keep Germany accountable to the Treaty of Versailles. And so, mm-hmm. like, yeah, they there, fail. There are a lot, a lot of reasons, but I would just say, if you are interested in these kinds of things, there are thousands probably tens of thousands of books about world war ii history that you can um read there are lots of museums there's a world war ii museum in new orleans which is a great museum actually i've been there uh highly recommend it so definitely go check out some of those things we're not gonna get into the nitty-gritty of every battle of the war every political machination of the war because we're not in i mean yeah sure we're interested in that just because we think that history is important but like we're not interested in that for the purposes of this podcast so we're not going to get super super in depth and if we leave stuff out that's because this is not a world war ii history podcast this is an assassin's creed lore podcast so we're giving broad basic overview strokes not every single detail if we did every single detail we would be here for 18 years so yes so obviously the successor of the United Na- of the League of Nations is the United Nations, which comes after World War II. And 
you know, the Templars kind of succeed in this, in that the United Nations becomes this global policing or global government or whatever you want to say. It's not really a government, but... And it's also to bring the United States under the control of FDR into the world area and kind of establish them as a global superpower and assert their control over Europe. From the Axis side, they use Hitler. Hitler is not a Templar himself. He is a pawn that the Templars use. And they use his, they play into his obsession with the mystic and the occult and all of the money that he wants to fund into scientific research to develop the Diglock, to do a bunch of projects that the Templars are trying to do to research the Isu and other projects that, you know, lead to the Animus, that lead to a lot of things that are going on in there. So that's their their goal is to dominate the world and to further their research into Isu artifacts. So, you know, same same song, different verse. So yes, the assassins or the Templars are using world domination and to discover more pieces of Eden. Like we've we've seen this story before. Just it's on a much more it's on a larger scale. Hugh Taylor Swift lyric. I think I've seen this film before. And I didn't like the ending. Um, (laughs) This brings us into this point here. Interestingly enough, so the assassins are pretty united on World War One. And they're like moving across that world, that war and operating. They're not operating as a large group. They are in various cells and camps and rebel tag groups. They're supporting fleeing Jews. They are supporting the resistance in France. They are doing all kinds of things. They're supplying resistances in ghettos in Poland and Germany and all of these other places. They're working throughout Russia to ensure that resistance in there. They're all across in the Pacific and North Africa. They're just doing these small things, but some notable things that they're trying to do is undermine the Templar influence in the world. Uh, They attempt to take down Nazi concentration camps, infiltrate ghettos in Poland and other Axis territories. Uh, They also attempt to sabotage all Templar research projects. Um, I was going to ask, it's um interesting like that they would be so united in World War 1 but not 2. I think it does make sense in the historical context but man like it, what a time to be disorganized and all over the place, you know, like Well, I think you have to I think there's two things that really bring the assassins into this point of there's not enough of them and they need to spread thin. Remember Abstergo is on the scene. So Abstergo has launched as this huge corporation with the backing of Henry Ford, who, for lack of better words in U.S. history, is a business, is one of these titans of industry, business tycoon. He holds a lot of influence. So they're starting to, I think this is the transition we start to see from the Bureau organization that we had previously to this more individual cell operations. I think World War II is really the beginning. We see this where they're operating together but they're all kinds of split apart Mm -hmm. yeah and i absolutely agree with that and think it makes complete sense too um and i also think just like in general with modern day history that that fits as well like just post-world war ii everything changes life changes um Mm -hmm. yeah it just does so 
it there are points in history when you look at the historical narrative there are points in history where things turn and the world shifts to a different trajectory mm-hmm. um, and world war ii is, is unfortunately one of those points in history i mean and i think the covid pandemic isn't an, is another one mm-hmm. i totally agree with that uh so the assassins think they achieve victory when they assassinate Hitler. So in this historical narrative, in this historical fiction, the person who commits suicide in the bunker is Hitler's body double. And he uses this as a means to escape, but the assassins catch on to this plan and they assassinate him anyway. They think, however, the assassins fail to stop the Manhattan Project. And it is, this is funded by the newly formed Abstergo. Abstergo funds Los Alamos and funds the Manhattan Project. And if we really think about it, it's an interesting thing because our historical narrative, which I'm not disputing, like what our historical narrative is, is that, you know, Germany and the United States are in this race on who's going to get the atomic bomb first. But in the Assassin's Creed universe, they're just feeding each other enemies and the Templars are deciding who's going to win it's like the world war ii is a wrestling is a professional wrestling match where it's all theatrics and the winner was decided long ago it's so frustrating because it's like to me i don't necessarily think that that's an offensive storyline or anything but it just it honestly makes it so much more tragic i think because then all the people who die are giving their lives up for nothing. All the people who get mm-hmm. drafted in the war, like their sacrifice was in vain, uh, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and I think that makes it a lot more tragic. I agree with that. Um, and so when they result in the bop- dropping of the bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, mm-hmm. I think like from a historical f- perspective in this universe, I'm not making this comment again on our actual historical narrative, but it is the bombings of Hiroshima, Nagasaki that plunge the United States into this global superpower position that the Templars want it to be in. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that they say, hey, we've got, we've got um, this mega weapon and there's no way you can defeat us. Right. And so it obviously then they are plunging the world into a new form of chaos. Uh, I love and Shelby is waiting to talk to me about this because she is so excited. But I love the end of the quote of the Oppenheimer movie where he's like, I, I asked you that we had the possibility of causing a chain reaction that would destroy the world. And I think we did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so let me get on my Oppenheimer soapbox here for a minute. Actually, I know you have more things to say about Oppenheimer. So why don't you go ahead and then I'll get on my soapbox. Okay. So naturally with all of this, I'm sure that a lot of you have these questions about, okay, well, let's talk players. Like is Oppenheimer a Templar? Like who are these people that we know that officials in the U.S. government are Templars, but like, what are these people, especially, you know, if you've watched Oppenheimer and he's really in our, you know, collective, un- collective subconscious as a com- as a society. Oppenheimer is an unwitting participant in the Manhattan Project. Uh, he is an Abstergo employee in this universe, but that doesn't mean that he is uh, like, he's not a Templar. He's just an Abstergo employee, which there are a lot of Abstergo employees who are not Templars. 
and I've not officially joined the Templar rank. So that's where Oppenheimer is on this. Uh, Louis Strauss, who is played by Robert Downey Jr. in the movie, um, he's not really mentioned in affiliation, uh, and he doesn't really come into the scene until later. Now, this one is fun because this person makes just a very slight appearance in the Oppenheimer movie, but plays a big role in the Assassin's Creed universe. And that's Colonel Bo- Boris Posh, um, who is an assassin. And we have talked about him before. And then obviously, even though he's not directly like involved in the Manhattan Project, Albert Einstein has no affiliation with either group either. Mm-hmm. So funny story that I have is when Austin. So actually, let me back up. I barbenheimered with my friends. Austin couldn't go for whatever reason. Well, you couldn't see both of them. I don't remember what the deal was. But anyway, so I barbenheimered. You ended up, we ended up seeing Barbie again. And then we recently watched Oppenheimer's because you still had not seen it. And so um, this happened very recently. And I love the movie. Like, it's so good. It's so good. Um, But it was so funny because we're watching it at home on the couch. And when Boris Pash comes in because he's like the bat, one of the bad guys interrogating Oppenheimer, Austin is literally the embodiment of the Leo DiCaprio pointing guy meme. <laughs> literally. And I'm like, what is happening? And then I remember too. And I was like, Oh my God, he's an assassin. And we both were just like screaming about this one random character in history being an assassin. And it was hilarious, but literally he was the embodiment of the pointing meme. So it was just really funny. Right. Which I will say like the end of the Oppenheimer movie with what they do with the congressional uh, hearing and everything has big assassin energy. I just want to say. Yeah. The, I, like, I, I feel twist, that. Which I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised. And this is a little theorizing. I would not be surprised if it turns out that after the Manhattan project that Oppenheimer gets recruited into the assassins. I, I don't think that would be out of character or out of the historical narrative. Yeah, I don't either. And I think especially, you know, Oppenheimer really recants a lot of his his previous work after the war. Um, mm-hmm. And so given that, I think absolutely is feasible. And and I mean, he was really like, I don't want to use the word betrayed, but maybe betrayed is the right word by a lot of his colleagues, specifically Strauss. So I can see it happening. I really can. Right. I also see like I don't see Oppenheimer as super pro Templar anyway. Like I think he probably mm-hmm. just if I'm theorizing, he probably just saw the Abstergo organization as a means to an end so he could get his research done. Um right. because I, as a young man, he's very involved with even though he's not officially a member of the Communist Party, he has communist friends. So I don't see Abstergo being okay with that. Right. And it it goes to say that like part of the reason that they back all this is they want to and why they continue to play both sides of the Cold War after this is that they want the conflict so that they can keep the world from like truly uniting. But they're pulling all the shots mm-hmm. um, and, you know, keeping that fear and keeping the fear of the Cold War continues to allow them to do their 
you know, their continued research to develop what they are because the American public is so afraid of Russia getting the drop on them, the USSR, that they're willing to be like, oh, yeah, we have to do that. Mm-hmm. We have to build up our military and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, would now be a good time to go to the mid-break? I think so. All right, let's do it. Shoot! Shoot a flying demon! I'm sure you can put this to better use than I can. Oh, what's this, Greeny? Assassin Christmas. I need to be oiled before I go to the games. Well, I would have been happy to assist if you were in any state to compete. I likes to be oiled. Well, that's obvious. Okay, welcome to the middle of the show. This is where we talk about all the things that have to do with the lore cast and not the lore of Assassin's Creed. So the first thing I have to do is thank our patrons. Thank you, thank you, thank you to those of you who are currently our patrons. We love you. We appreciate you. Um, You are really the thing that helps us keep making this game or making this show because we couldn't do it without the support of our patrons. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much. And And very exciting day. I do have a new patron to shout out today. And that would be Hannah L. Welcome, Hannah L. to Patreon. And we hope to see you on the next patron chat. Which is next week. Yes, it is. Um, And so the next thing, the next best way to support us, if you can't support us financially, is to leave us a rating or a review. You can leave us one on Spotify, on Apple, on pretty much any platform that you uh, can post reviews on. And if you leave five stars and kind words, we'll read it out on the show. And I do have one to read today. This one comes from Marthaniel, who posted on Apple Podcasts. And he said, great show, five stars. Love that I came across this show. All of your content is great. And I've been listening daily since finding you two. I love the way you both discuss lore facts and your own opinions or ideas, as well as always maintaining both sides of the story. Thank you so much for that awesome review. We truly appreciate it so much. And then the next thing that I have to tell you about is the best place on the internet, aka our Discord server. You should definitely join it. Come hang out with us come talk about assassin's creed and then lastly lastly we're back uh because i have some exciting news and that is that i started playing assassin's creed syndicate today and uh i probably played for like an hour i'm not really sure got to play as both jacob and evie so i'm enjoying it so far i'm sure i'm not even out of the tutorial yet but um my interest is peaked do you admire the glory that is Crawford Sterick's mustache? Not really. I'm not impressed. I mean, like, yeah, it is an impressive mustache, but I don't care about a mustache, so. Well, you should. It's a great mustache. I mean, sure, I'm not denying that. I just don't care about it. (laughs) Okay. Anything else you want to add about my playthrough? Nothing. I mean, you are adapting a lot faster than I thought you would. To the play style you know that's a compliment but it sounds a lot like an insult i hear that you impressed me today okay well thanks i mean you impress me all the time okay well if you don't have anything else to add about my playthrough specifically i think we should get back to the show all right 
Malaka! 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 A party? I wasn't invited. Neither were the horses. <laughs> I'm sure she just misplaced my invitation. <sighs> Stuck. See if you can find something to pry it open. Honor? What are you up to? So before we jump into the dialogue, which is its own little thing here, do you have any other last thoughts about World War II overarching things or anything like that? No, let's get into this animus thingy-majigger. Yeah. So as we know from our first ever episode and last week's recap episode and revisit, we know the dialogue is a precursor to the animus. Um, it is developed by uh, Nikola Tesla, which is another reason for Shelby to hate Teslas. Um, though you shouldn't hate the actual man Tesla because he kind of got a raw deal. That's fair. That's very fair. Um, it's mostly just the car that I dislike. Yes. Sorry if you uh, drive one, listeners. Yes. Um, so I don't know if this is like... Eero Kramer or Giro Kramer or something like that. Uh, how the J the G sound works in German? It sounds like Euro. Euro, like the like the sandwich. Yeah, but I don't I don't know. Yeah, so Euro Kramer. Uh, this is an SS funded project, which is you know just it's kind of like it's Hitler's alternative to the police and the military because the military doesn't trust him. Uh, in the Nazi regime. In 1943, none other than Boris Posh, who we sent there, sends his new recruit, Eddie Gorm, to infiltrate and gather intel on the project. However, this is a trap. And Gorm is captured by Kramer and forced to experience the Diglock. However, Tesla, having their own disillusion with the Templars and tired of all of their, you know, bullshit, he has secretly sabotaged the Diglock. And then something else weird happens, which I just want to talk about. But like in the story, Gorm's descendant is using the animus to relive the exact moment where Gorm experiences the Diglock. And this causes them to switch bodies throughout time. So like Maxine's consciousness is in Gorm's body and Eddie Gorm's consciousness is in Maxine's body. To me, this really kind of goes against the established lore behind the bleeding effect behind how the animus works. So I've never really understood this part of it. it and we'll get into this, like kind of like how it works. So this is kind of building on a lot of stuff that has been theorized and like is very sci-fi about time travel. Um, so we know that Diglock use utilizes like antimatter and black hole theory to do what it does which is not that far from what's going on scientifically because the theories of like a dying star and a black hole pulling in all light and stuff like that are floating around at this point like they're not just like it's not that we have no concept of what a dying star would be or anything like that like there are those concepts coming out so it's not that far out of the ordinary that something like this would be thought of and so it utilizes a wormhole and there's a lot of theory around like sci-fi that a wormhole like transcends space and time so you could theoretically use it 
to time travel. But there's also this thing that like your consciousness is your memory is what is experiencing in the animus. It's not your physical body. And there's like, we're getting into like, is our consciousness, can that be separated from our body, our physical body? Like that's a, that's a philosophical question that I don't want to spend time answering because it, there's no it's point in answering that question. Right, mm-hmm. exactly. Because the only people who could tell us that are in no fit to tell us, no fit state to tell us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but also in the Diglock, they cannot influence the past. This is something they learn because as the war goes on, the Templars realize that Hitler is unhinged. Shocking. And they can't control him. And he is not doing what they want. And he's not obeying them. So their solution, instead of just doing their normal thing, which is like, get him out of the way or let the assassins kill him or do something like that. They say, oh, let's use our new thing to go back in time and then kill him as like a baby and ensure he never rises to power. Okay. (laughs) But then they realize they can't do that, that the Diglock will not allow them to do that, Um, which I am thankful that they haven't introduced changing the past through the animus. Just because I just think it defeats the purpose of the game and the story and the lore. Yeah, I I completely agree. And um, we kind of got into this last week. Like it, it just, what's the point? If you can go back in and change change things that happened in the past, like what's the point of not doing that for every mistake that's ever been made? And at that point, if you have, if you have the ability to go in and do that and you haven't gone in and like undone some of the most, you know, horrible atrocities of, of human history, uh, you have an ethical responsibility to, to do that. I think you can make that argument. So it's kind of just like, why wouldn't you, you know? But also like, let's really think about this. If this highly advanced precursor species, superhuman, godlike technology species couldn't figure out how to go back in time and tell their past selves to like, hey, there's a solar flare coming. You might want to start preparing sooner than we did. Right. Like, that's really what they and I like the idea that like there's a lot. I like the idea of like projecting things into the future and like this concept that the future is possibility. And so like nothing is set. So you can like influence the future because the future is not set. Whereas the past is set. Um, I don't mind that concept, but it's all able to do this because it's powered by an apple of Eden. And I, uh, commented this here and i said this is assassin's creed version of the force did it which is the ability in star wars when we can't explain anything we just go the force the worst explanation for anything ever but the yeah. force the force yeah so it's powered by an apple of eden isu technology can do all kinds of crazy things and so that's really all the additional information about the Diglock. Um, they do destroy it and it's destroyed and, and, and rendered inoperable. But obviously we know that it does not stop the Animus project and that Warren Vidic is about to come on the scene and all kinds of terrible things are about to happen. And life sucks forever. <laughs> right. And it is noted that Boris Posh is a double agent. Um, and it's through this and like, 
the assassins really in the later half of the 20th century kind of play into their own downfall because the mentor of the assassins founds the CIA and then the Templars infiltrate that and take it over. Of course, because you would think the Templars are the ones that would have founded the CIA in the first place. Right. But I do wonder, like, I do, I'm curious about Boris Pash and I wonder more about like his story, just all of it, because I feel like if I'm remembering this correctly, he was, he was the leader of the, um, the cell in the sixties that were, they were like kind of rogue agents. Can't remember the name. Bloodstone. Bloodstone. Unit. Yeah. Bloodstone unit. So he leads that and they are like pretty rogue already at that point in time. Um, and I, I just kind of feel like if he had been treated in a way that was more like, Hey, like, let's understand where you're coming from. And let me explain, like, this is why we don't do it this way maybe let's take some time to reflect instead of like going right back into the action and continuing to be more radicalized. Maybe he wouldn't have become a double agent. Right. So this is really interesting because I want to talk about my fun facts, which is that the, uh, like board, obviously like Boris Posh is a historical character that upstart, like that Ubisoft didn't just invent this person and Ubisoft did not invent the, the concept of the die Glock. Really? Yes. So I learned this in my research because when I was searching for it to get to the wiki page, I just typed die Glock and I thought, oh, this is going to be unique to Assassin's Creed and it's going to pull this up. No, it pulled up an actual Wikipedia page for the die Glock conspiracy. Interesting. Tell me more. Yeah. Yeah, so the Die Glock is based on an actual conspiracy theory that the Nazis had actual projects on anti-gravity and energy, free energy suppression, which the idea of free energy uh, suppression is the idea that the governments of the world have found a free, cost-effective, renewable energy source and are hiding it from us. Look, I'll put on my tinfoil hat right now. I don't think that's beyond the realm of possibility. Right. So the die Glock theory, which was, you know, presented by a bunch of journalists and other things like that, is that the Nazis had these projects and they've been hidden by the governments of the world. So I just think that's really interesting that that's like some I feel like that's some Ubisoft employee and writer was like, I need something for this book that we're calling Assassin's Creed Conspiracies. Let me just look up some World War II conspiracies. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, we can't do the big ones because people will get mad. Uh, so let's find a small one. Yeah, fair. Well, and like there are some really like damaging and harmful conspiracy theories about World War II that I'm sure they wanted to stay away from. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But also the fun fact, as we talked about earlier in that Boris Posh is an actual colonel during World War II in the U.S. military. And he was tasked with intelligence gathering on the Nazi scientific projects, specifically the Nazis atomic project. So again, we see like Ubisoft just taking our actual history and these actual historical figures and just tweaking it a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I mean, yeah. I think that's what they're best at doing. So yeah, I thought these facts were very fun. Yes, I know you especially love the Boris Pash one because he's in Oppenheimer and we, we had yeah. that moment. Yes. So that's really all I got for today. Um, do you have any last thoughts about the Diglock, about World War II, about 
that the assassins are dumb in this period, which I think is probably. I, I don't fair. even think I I don't think it's fair to say the assassins are dumb in this time period, because I think it's fair to say humanity as a whole is dumb in this time period. Uh, just because, you know, I mean, they're they're faced with an existential threat. Maybe that's not even fair either to say that humanity is dumb. I think humanity makes a lot of bad decisions in this time period because they they're faced with an existential threat that they feel is going to end the world. And in, in you know, in in fairness, it could have very easily. Um, so I, I feel for the people that lived during this time. I can't imagine. I guess I can imagine because, you know, I remember what it felt like in 2001 in the United States, but um, it it would be very difficult to live during the 1940s and early 50s for sure. Yeah. And like there are times like when you talk about these, like a lot of this was unprecedented mm-hmm. that happened, like a war this like and we know there's World War One, but there's a historical argument to say that World War One and World War Two are just really the same war with a 10-year pause between them. Yeah, I mean, and they absolutely are. Um, And I think that, I mean, it's the first attack on American soil since the War of 1812, which it's over 100, like 120 years. Yeah, I mean, for for most Americans who, you know, were not working in the government, it would have been unthinkable. That somebody mm-hmm. could attack American soil, just like it was in 2001 when we were younger, you know, mm-hmm. um, unthinkable. But I think that's all the time we have today. So we got to wrap it up here. Um, right. There's a lot more to be said. There's a lot more to talk about this. Um, if you've got thoughts, leave us comments on Spotify. Come hop in the Discord, ask some questions. I love talking about actual history and talking about motives and everything around there. Shelby, not so much about World War II, but about other I'll stuff. Talk about absolutely. It. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you for bringing this research, Austin. And thank you all for listening to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. You can find us on Twitter at AC Lorecast. If you have any lore questions or topics to unpack, join our Cups Podcasting and More Discord server. It's the best place on the internet. You can also support us financially through our Patreon. Find us on patreon.com slash Assassin's Creed Lorecast. The Assassin's Creed Lorecast is part of the Robots Radio Network. For more information about the Robots Radio Network, join the Discord server via the link in our episode's description. If you enjoyed the show or learned something new today, please subscribe, leave us a review, and join the Patreon. And if you enjoyed our intro and outro music, make sure you give a big thank you to Pipe Man Studios. Thank you, Pipe Man. Thanks again for listening to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. And always remember, Assassins, stay in the shadows to serve the light.
Are you a fan of Elden Ring? Are you confused about the lore as pretty much everyone else? We've got you covered. Check out the Elden Archives, a lore podcast that helps to explain every little confusing detail about the lands between. Things like what exactly happened on the Night of the Black Knives, or what we really know about characters like Mikola. Just like the show you're listening to now, we're on the Robots Radio Network, so you know it'll be good. Wondering how to find the show? Easy. Either go to robotsradio.net or search Elden Archives on whatever podcatcher you're using right now. Bookmark the show for later, and we'll see you in the lands between. Again, that's the Elden Archives, from Soft Lorecast, available everywhere.